Welcome to episode 255 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Electric vehicle discussions almost always focus on light-duty passenger cars and trucks. But heavy-duty trucks account for almost 20% of global oil demand, around 17 million barrels per day, and a third of all transport-related carbon emissions. In the debates about climate policy and peak oil demand, trucks matter a lot, which is why I'm talking to Shazan Siddiqui, Senior Technology Analyst at UK-based ID Tech X, about his new report, Electric Truck Milestones in 2023 and Outlook. Welcome to the interview, Shazan. Hey, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. This is very interesting because, as I mentioned in the interview, trucks, uh, uh, more attention, I will say, to medium duty these days, delivery vans and, and so on, because I think they're really ready to uh, elect, uh, be electrified and and the switch is already on and amongst delivery fleets, we saw Amazon just the other day uh, sort of uh, recommit itself to, I think it was 100,000 uh, electric delivery vans by, mm, I can't remember, maybe 2030. Anyway, at any rate, uh, yeah. 100,000 delivery vans, uh, electric uh, uh, vans. Uh, but heavy duty is the, is the one uh, part of transportation that everyone thought would not electrify or that uh -huh. it would take a long time, and uh, and for a long, I, you know, I, I up until maybe a year ago, I, plenty of people that I know just assumed that hydrogen would play a big role in that, uh -huh. and things have changed a lot in the last year, and I think a, a much of that has to do with improvements in uh, in battery uh, energy density and the range of the of you know like class eight uh, tractor trucks. Uh, yeah. Is that a, a, a fair summary of where we're at as we head into 2024? Yeah, absolutely. That was very well summarized, to be very honest. Um, like you correctly pointed out, um, a very important metric in the, uh, in the commercial vehicle segment is daily duty cycles. Um, the, the medium duty, like you correctly pointed out, uh, their daily duty cycles are uh, essentially ripe for being electrified, which is why we're seeing so many of these vans and uh, so on and so forth, those sort of vehicle segments being electrified. Um, where the problem really lies and the challenge really lies is electrifying that heavy duty segment. Um, so your uh, class eight tractor trailer trucks and, uh, and those kind of vehicles. And even there, yes, uh, like you correctly mentioned, um, we're seeing lots of technological innovations, which is, which is allowing um, you know, lots of companies to sort of start investing in technologies, which helps them electrify that segment as well. Um, so really an exciting space to be in. Um, and yeah, um, we're really uh, hedging our bets on both battery electric and to a smaller extent, fuel cells uh, and hydrogen as well to play a part in electrifying uh, the, the heavy duty segment. I did an interview about, oh, it might have been a year, year and a half ago, uh, about how, uh, and I don't think it's the transportation, the carriers, the companies, I think it's more the, uh, the owners of class eight trucks but they were bypassing emissions controls. And so they were, you know, they, because they wanted to improve uh, fuel economy, uh -huh. uh, lower their costs and they, their emissions from uh, heavy duty are probably much higher than reported. And this uh -huh. has become a bit of a scandal within the industry and the industry itself said that it wanted to clean things up. I was uh, interviewing a trade association uh, executive director 
and they, uh -huh. they need to clean this up. And it's a global problem. It's not just a North American or European problem. And I will say that the interviews that I've done, and I've only done a couple with transportation carriers, uh, the executives at least seem to be committed. They understand that their, their sector contributes, uh, over contributes to greenhouse gas emissions. They seem to be committed to cleaning that up. They understand there's public pressure and that the climate policy and governments are anxious to get their emissions down. They seem to be committed to that. They don't seem to be opposing it a lot. And uh -huh. so the policy framework and the, for lack of a better term, the culture within the industry uh, seems supportive of this transition to uh, electric uh, trucks. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's really two ways to look at this. Um, one is from, um, you know, the, the OEM perspective. So we're seeing a lot of the actual truck manufacturers um, announcing their targets for launching electrified models and having an all electric lineup, which is great to see from, you know, the provider side, from the supplier side of things. But then also the second, for the flip side of the coin is that, uh, yes, we're also seeing a lot of these fleet operators now announcing their own targets as well to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, to really, uh, you know, um, pledge and work against their uh, corporate social responsibilities and, you know, really garner that green image that they're all looking for. So, yes, they are also releasing their own targets and their own milestones um, to electrify their own fleets. So it's really a, a, a push uh, from uh, a push and pull happening from both sides of the market, which is going to drive this market forward. The um, One of the things we know about uh, electrification of transportation is there are very large regional differences. Okay. And China is, and this is something, it's a bit of a drum, uh, a drum I'm beating these days, uh, Shazan, is that I think in the West, uh, we have underestimated China's leadership uh, in clean energy technologies and particularly around transportation. And we're seeing that now, uh, you know, in 2023, uh, Chinese EV makers, I think, really uh, burst onto the global stage. They got, they're getting a lot of attention and quite rightly so. I mean, it's very mm -hmm. clear that, that China is the new Detroit. Yeah. Uh, and the, but China has also been leading the switch over to heavy duty. We know that there are, what, 600 transit buses, electric transit buses now in, in China, which is yep. essentially, I mean, it's just a big, you know, it's, it's a big truck, right? It's mm -hmm. really what it is. And, and they were generally uh, fueled by diesel. Um, so what can we say in very general terms about the rate at which different regions, so, you know, USA, Europe, China, uh, emerging countries, India, for, for example, Give us an overview of how the different regions are transitioning to electric trucks. Yeah, sure. Um, I have to say, first of all, really like that uh, wordplay there. China is the new Detroit. Um, really like that. Um, but yeah, coming to the regional variability that exists within this market, um, like you correctly pointed out, China is at the very forefront of leading the electric truck market. And that's purely because it comes down to their expertise and, you know, having developed the technology for electric buses over the last few years. If you look at the market data, what we see is that, uh, you know, the market for electric buses in China is actually saturated now. They peaked almost three or four years ago. 
And we as a research company used to track that market because it was emerging and we've stopped doing that because purely because it's not emerging anymore. The market has reached saturation and there's not really much more for us to cover and write about because almost every big city in China and almost all of their public bus networks have been electrified. So China's really taken that expertise from electrifying those buses and really used that platform and that technology that they've built to now fuel and you know develop their uh, electric truck market and that's what we're seeing the numbers don't lie so china is really leading the forefront uh, within the electric truck market um to put some numbers to the story um in 2023 uh, last year um for the first uh, three quarters of the year china sold about 35000 roughly medium and heavy duty trucks combined oh wow uh, and and just to put that number in context um the us sold maybe uh, you know just a ha- a few hundreds uh, within that same time period so you can really see the order of magnitude difference is quite massive there and uh, yeah so china really is leading uh, in this in sense in this in, in that sense uh, in terms of uh, just sales of electric trucks um but also if we then shift attention to the european market we're seeing a lot of drive from again local policy makers uh, commitment from oems um and here also what we've seen is that 2023 was a very good year for the european market uh, the, the the market did sort of explode a little bit um we saw almost a 350% increase in the number of sales of electric trucks within the european market um uh, however the percentage of the entire electric truck market that's been electrified in europe is still roughly at about 1% so we still have a long way to go in europe but this 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 statement only gets worse when we start thinking about the us and uh, the us has been sort of lagging behind in terms of electric truck uh electrification and uh, that's purely because of you know the way i look at it is 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 the regional disparity in in how the trucks operate so contrary to europe where we have you know smaller routes we have intercity routes and things like that in the us the trucks are doing much much larger distances right so electrifying those sort of duty cycles is very tough with our current technologies and our current charging infrastructure which is why the us has been lagging but this again has been changing with you know announcements of lots of new uh, new uh, models which can do longer ranges uh, we've seen the tesla semi prove to do you know uh, almost 800 miles without stopping for a charge which was great to see so we are expecting the us market to also pick up in terms of uh, you know number of sales as well however you know right now uh, according to my last analysis it was still under 0.5% of the entire truck market that had been electrified in the us so really big market for the us and a really big challenge for them to electrify but i'm sure that you know over time and uh, in the year 2024 this year as well we're expecting big things to come from the us um also because uh, a lot of states now are are adopting what's known as the advanced clean trucks act which was a regulation passed in california which expects a lot of fleet owners to shift to electric and a lot of almost 12 to 15 states have now signed up to it so we should start seeing a lot of these states now gradually moving and shifting their fleets to becoming electric um about a year ago i attended the launch of a pilot project um uh, by the alberta motor trucking association i think is the is the title and it is uh, there are they have two hydrogen class 8 freight trucks and they're going to be hauling freight between uh Calgary and Edmonton which is about 300 kilometers and the reason they chose hydrogen is because of cold temperatures okay. so that that's a big issue uh in in Canada particularly on the prairies I mean, we we just saw last weekend uh, minus 40 to 4 minus 45 c fit minus 57 with the wind chill 
Um, wow. Electric batteries don't function well in, in that particular environment. So they're looking to, to hydrogen. And um, uh, you have, a, in your report, you have a fascinating graphic, battery electric vehicles versus fuel cell electric vehicles and trucks. And the thing I find interesting about it is that um, if you take electricity, how much of that, how, what percentage of that electricity actually reaches the wheels? Uh -huh. And for battery electric vehicles, it's 75%. So we have efficiency losses in the distribution and transmission and in the, uh, in the charging. And, uh, you know, electric motors are about 90% efficient. So we, we have some, some losses there. But when you get to fuel cell vehicles with hydrogen, fueled by hydrogen, only 25% of the energy reaches the wheels. And I was kind of, I have to be honest, I did not think that the difference between battery electric and fuel cells efficiency was that great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a, a shocking fact, isn't it? Um, and that's what we've tried to sort of point out in our research as well is that the system efficiency and the term we use in industry is well to wheel efficiency is a really important metric that we need to consider when you're considering going down the route of battery electric or fuel cell. And it's very clear from not just our analysis, and there's multiple other research agencies out there and transportation companies that will you know, tell you the same thing, is that fuel cell vehicles are just not at the same efficiency level as battery electric. And a lot of uh, you know, efficiency and a lot of uh, uh, efficiency losses occur because of the need to, you know, uh, distribute hydrogen, store hydrogen, and transport it. Um, and, you know, our analysis tells us that, yes, three times as much renewable electricity will be needed to power a hydrogen truck compared to a similar battery electric truck. Um, and this sort of efficiency loss um, is just something that seems, um, you know, uh, why would someone go ahead with a fuel cell option when they know that the battery electric is, is much more efficient in that sense? The only areas where fuel cells still make sense is of course like you pointed out those scenarios where it's you know cold temperatures where battery electric trucks cannot perform or they're inadequate in terms of delivering the daily duty cycles um however one caveat again which a lot of companies will not point out is the fact that you need to realize where this hydrogen is being sourced from so again in the industry there's a spectrum of colors that we've associated with hydrogen and really to for fuel cell electric trucks to uh you know be truly green you need to have green hydrogen so that is hydrogen that's produced from renewable sources um, it's produced using electrolysis and uh, what we're currently seeing is that you know just to give you an example in the usa the statistic tells us that 95 percent of hydrogen produced in the us it comes from gray sources so that's just burning natural gas and that's really not making your fuel cell trucks any greener than current petrol or diesel electric uh, petrol or diesel trucks so really Another caveat and important metric to keep in mind here is that, yes, fuel cell electric trucks will continue to have some sort of market share and they will be taking up in scenarios where battery electrics are inadequate. But where that hydrogen is being sourced from, one, is very important, whether it's green or not, and two, um, whether uh, the system efficiency has been taken into account or not. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, uh, and for listeners who may not be aware, uh, green hydrogen is where... The, uh, the electricity used to make the power of the electrolyzer is comes from 100% renewables of wind and solar, hydro, uh, nuclear. 
electrolyzers now are still making hydrogen at about five or six dollars a kilogram. Uh, then you have blue hydrogen, which is made from natural gas using steam methane reformers. It's much, much lower cost, uh, but the, the uh, emissions are, are higher. And, you know, the, the proposals are that that uh, blue hydrogen would be made with uh, carbon capture and storage, uh, which captures okay. about 80 or 90 percent of, of emissions. So but it, it, it sells for about a dollar a kilogram. Uh, yeah. So it's it's much more competitive. But but higher emissions. But even if you, even if we take that out of the, uh, uh, you know, because I notice in, in your graphic here, you, you assign uh, a 30% loss of efficiency uh, because of electrolyzers. Mm -hmm. And, and those by 2030, those are forecast to be down and sort of equivalent with blue hydrogen. And so we might say, well, okay, by 2030, maybe we're not going to have uh, a thirty percent loss of efficiency making the hydrogen. Maybe it'll be a much lower. Maybe it'll be nothing. Who knows? Uh -huh. But even if yeah. you as assume nothing, then you've still got the loss fifteen percent loss in in uh, trans uh, transport, uh, storage, and fueling, and uh -huh. then the the inherent in uh, inefficiency of thirty percent of the fuel cell stack, uh -huh. and and it doesn't appear that that can be overcome at all. So the, the probably the best you can come up with is about a maybe a forty to fifty percent efficiency, which is never going to be uh, catch the seventy five percent of the battery electric vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that point really hits home. And like you correctly point out, no matter what level of innovation you know the electrolyzers uh, electrolyzing process goes through or the fuel cell stack goes through, you have to realize that battery electric will continue to progress in that same direction as well. Um, so energy densities of batteries will continue to improve. Charging speeds will continue to improve. We're seeing the launch of much better, faster megawatt level chargers as well. So all of this just signals to me that battery electric will, you know, it already continues to be the best fit for medium duty. And it will take up a large market share in the heavy duty market as well. And fuel cell will continue to remain a very, very niche segment, really just focusing on those areas where battery electric is absolutely inadequate. Someone made the point uh, to me uh, some time ago, and I haven't verified this, and, and perhaps you know, but they pointed out that 75% of all long-haul freight, uh, the, it, it, the truck is not fully loaded. Like, it's not carrying the maximum amount of weight. Uh -huh. And so if we think of a, you know, 80,000-pound uh, gross vehicle weight, uh, they're not carrying anywhere near that. And so... Uh, when calculating the efficiencies and the, the range of electric uh, freight trucks, that has to be taken into account. I mean, if you're if you're carrying a, a load of uh, of uh, I don't know canned goods versus a load of potato chips, uh, you know, there's a big a, a lot more energy is required for the canned goods than the potato chips. Yep. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, and you know. A big argument for fuel cells was the fact that they allow for a higher payload purely because they're more energy dense. So very simply put, a battery will just take up way more space uh, compared to you know, hydrogen tanks in a fuel cell truck. Um, but really, like you correctly pointed out, the statistic is true. Now, I don't know the exact you know, statistic off the top of my head, but yes, uh, a truck is never fully utilizing its maximum payload 100% of the time. Uh, oftentimes it's you know loaded at 50 percent 60 percent in its in its journey so yes um in that case battery electric again um you know the the kind of range estimates that is often quoted by a lot of these oems 
will take into account, uh, you know, that uh, payload factor as well. Um, so the, the quoted range from a lot of these uh, truck OEMs now is, is taking into account the fact that, you know, that payload isn't necessarily always at 100%. One of the things I want to talk about is battery technology. I, I did a, an interview yesterday with a uh, battery analyst uh, from uh, Rethink Research. And, and, uh, and I've done many, many other battery interviews as well. And I think what everybody agrees on is that the pace of innovation in the battery space is just off the charts. I mean, there are any number of chemistries that are coming forward, and some of them are more energy dense. Uh, some of them are low, much lower cost. Uh, the, and of course we keep inching closer towards the 2027, 2028, when we expect, uh, uh solid state batteries to, to hit the market in, in, uh, some significant way. And it seems to me that solid state in particular would be the solution for, for the heavy duty trucks, because now you can run 800 or 900 volt architecture and you can charge them very quickly and the the risk they're they're safer uh, than uh, than uh, batteries that have a, a a liquid electrolyte, and so even I mean that's only three or four years away, and you know in in the, in the course of the electrification of transportation that's just a blink of an eye, and mm -hmm. so my guess here is that we're going to be seeing you know lithium ion the NMC batteries. And, and we'll have other chemistries that will make gradual inroads over the next three or four years. We'll see more and more electric trucks, but then we're gonna have a step change towards the end of this decade that will greatly increase the adoption rate of electric heavy duty trucks. And, and then we'll see the industry really take off. Uh, is that a, a reasonable way to look at this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you've hit the nail on the head with that statement right there. Um, Already we're seeing that, you know, one of the biggest challenges within the trucking industry is the fact that we need more energy dense batteries. So while the Western world has very much focused on those NMC and NCA type chemistries, which are, you know, very much more energy dense than your LFP, which is preferred in China, purely because of its cost perspective. Um, what is very evident is that we are moving towards a more and more energy dense battery pack. A lot of the battery pack suppliers as well are looking for innovations and ways to just, you know, um, make their pack efficiencies much higher and, you know, achieve that higher energy density figure. So it's, it's, it's a very clear indication that, you know, the truck industry is ready for solid state batteries if and when they were to arrive at the market. And like you correctly pointed out, uh, our estimates also tell us that, you know, we're maybe four or five years away from fully commercialized solid state batteries. Um, and so, yeah, we would really expect that once solid state batteries hit the market, you know, the, the electric truck market, like you correctly said, there would be a step change in, in how they're adopted and uh, their safety and, uh, you know, is another metric that would be, that would make them very, very likely to be used within the electric truck market. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, currently while NMC and NCA is, is preferred uh, in, in the Western world and LFP is favored in the, in, in the Chinese uh, OEM's perspective, we will see solid state being adopted by both. Another, um, uh, impediment to adoption or a, a determinant of the adoption rate, let's put it that way, uh, is uh, charging infrastructure. Yeah. And I was looking at a fascinating IEA report the other day that talked about the investment in charging infrastructure in various uh, regional economies. China is way out in front, has an amazing charging infrastructure. The government 
and the industry there has invested heavily in in charging infrastructure. And uh, not only has that supported the the you know the thirty eight percent EV uh, adoption rate that we saw in twenty twenty three, but it's got to have a, a big impact on medium duty and on heavy duty adoption uh, as well. But what's really interesting is how the U.S. has lagged. The U.S. has not come anywhere close to even uh, the European rate of charging infrastructure investment. And we're seeing that again, I think, you know, the the uh, uh, Infl- Inflation Reduction Act uh, is has money earmarked for, for charging, but not nearly as much as is needed. Uh-huh. And the industry really is not, uh, and the industry has got a problem in that a lot of its chargers uh, are not poorly maintained, uh, they're broken, uh, you know, they're, they're poor quality. There's been a big fight over uh, the charging uh, adapter standard or the, it, 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 it's not, the U.S. has had a lot of problems with this charging infrastructure that China certainly doesn't have and Europe uh, doesn't have to the same degree. And it looks like that is going to be, it's going to be an impediment. It'll in, in part determine the rate of adoption for battery electric heavy duty trucks. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, They really go hand in hand. So if the supporting charging infrastructure isn't rolled out at pace with uh, the deployment of electric trucks, then you just can't see why the market uptake. And, you know, to build on to your point and what you were saying, it is very true that, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act had earmarked a certain value of, uh, you know, a pool of money for EV chargers and specifically more for those, uh, you know, uh, uh, highway charging uh, scenarios. Uh, however, like you correctly pointed out, we're seeing you know not a lot of that money being claimed yet, and that's purely because of the the difficulty in in securing that funding. You know that funding is has very clear requirements in terms of what sort of charges are eligible. You know how their maintenance needs to be done, what their reliability needs to be, and there's just you know in the market currently charger reliability and uptime is a serious issue as well. So unless those criteria can be met, that funding is just not released. Um, so that's what's you know creating that gridlock in the U.S. where yes the the funding is there but we're just not being able to put the charges in the ground. And when it comes to you know efforts being made, however, it's very clear that there are companies working you know day and night to solve this issue. So really, what's very important is speaking early on to your utility companies because you know with heavy duty segment, it's not about your level two chargers which can you know simply use your three phase electricity. No. We're talking multi-megawatt level charging, which requires, you know, serious, serious grid upgrades. We're talking new transformers, new substations, new power lines. And all of this requires years of development. So really, it's about the the charging operators starting to talk to utilities early on and establishing, um, you know, these projects early on. So we're seeing, you know, there's a company called WattEV operating out of California. I had the chance to speak to their CEO, outlining great plans for how they plan to use the IRA funding and build a network of chargers to support the specifically the electric heavy duty truck market and outside of California as well. They're now identifying those corridors in the U.S. where they would need those chargers. So it's great to see those sort of initiatives and that you know money and that technology being used wisely. And same similarly in in Europe, we're seeing MyLens, which is again a joint venture between a lot of truck OEMs who've together collectively decided right if nothing's being done from the government side, we will collectively uh, use uh, what's been proposed in the alternative. Uh, infrastructure regulation in the in Europe to to set up around 1,700 chargers, which includes a lot of you know high level uh, high high power level chargers as well. 
So yeah, there's really a lot of development happening within the charging space, uh, both across Europe and the US. And I certainly expect it to, you know, help uh, with the wider uptake of uh, the BEVs within the truck market. Uh, I want to explain how I look at adoption of, of new technologies, and it applies to consumers, uh, both of uh, light-duty vehicles and other technologies, but also heavy-duty. So there are, are basically four um, uh, variables that consumers take into account when they're considering buying a new technology. The first one is CapEx, capital expenditure. What is the, what is the purchase price? Well, obviously, with heavy-duty electric trucks, that it's going to be considerably higher than the diesel equivalent now. So that's, that's a caution for the buyer. Then the next is OPEX, operating expenditures. Well, battery electric, as, as a rule, is more efficient and, and is generally considered uh, to have a lower OPEX than the uh, than uh, the internal combustion engine equivalent. In this case, the efficiencies gained by, uh, and the lower costs gained by lower operating costs don't offset the, the high CapEx at this point. They do in the light duty mar market. You see, you know, for cars, cars in particular, now you're seeing the, the total cost of ownership, the cost per kilometer traveled is lower, and in some cases considerably lower than the gasoline equivalent. So that's already that's already taken place. That shift has taken place in light duty. It has not taken place in in uh, heavy duty, and that's a considerable impediment. The other is value, and so value is the one, those those things which you can't put a, a price on, a cost on, but are important to the adopters. And and I think of here is torque. Like if you're hauling around eighty thousand pounds of of uh, payload, uh, having torque when you're going up a mountain. Uh, is a big deal because now you suddenly you, you can do 100 kilometers an hour uh, instead of crawling along as uh, when, I, when I drive between uh, Vancouver and Calgary and we go through the Rocky Mountains, you know, you see the some of these trucks crawling along at 20, 30 kilometers an hour, uh, which adds to the time on the road. Okay. So uh, it, it makes driving the trucks a lot easier. And so the battery electric vehicles have a higher value assigned to them because they have other advantages like that. And then the last one is risk. How do you mm -hmm. how do you calculate risk? So and and that in this case in this context that risk can be calculated in a number of ways. Is it going to break down? Am I familiar with this technology? And, you know, if I do have a problem, am I going to be able to get a repair someplace? Because you know who 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 what repair shops are going to have electric vehicle technicians available, and will they have the diagnostic equipment, and will they be able to get parts? Uh, mm -hmm. All sorts of risk assigned to new technologies that goes into the calculation about whether they buy. And, and it's complex, and every adopter calculates those variables differently, depending on their business model, depending on their personal risk uh, uh, thresholds, uh, and so on. And so my perception is that right now, the calculation of those of risk in this segment is still high, or calculation... Uh, it, it doesn't favor adoption just yet, which is why we've got the innovators, the people who are willing to take risks and have the financial wherewithal to take risks who are trying it out. But over the next five to 10 years, the calculation is going to change amongst those four variables. CapEx is going to come down. OpEx is going to come down. Risk, perception of risk will change. It, it won't be as big an issue. Perception of value will improve. Uh, all of those things favor 
faster adoption over time in the next, you know, five, particularly after solid state batteries come in. That's how I, I, I look at this. Um, mm -hmm. Does that make any sense to, to an analyst like yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's very important to realize that at the very end of the day, you know, these are commercial vehicles and they're capital goods at the end of the day, and they are purely TCO driven. So that's your total cost of ownership. Um, unlike the passenger vehicle segment, there are no emotions involved. There is no prestige in driving a BMW or an Audi. No, this is purely based on, does this truck fit my daily duty cycle? Will it in the long run return, give me a net positive TCO result? And that's what all of these fleet operators are looking to achieve. And yes, like you correctly pointed out, currently there's a lot of scenarios where, you know, when these fleet operators do their own analysis, they do find that, okay, maybe it doesn't make sense for me to, you know, invest in this technology right now purely because the TCO is either, you know, not net positive in the next three to five years um, or because, you know, they're just not ready to deal with, you know, the other challenges like you highlighted, like, uh, you know, what happens if the truck breaks down? I don't have adequate maintenance and service contracts and things like that. But really what we're seeing is that, uh, you know, from our perspective and, you know, the research we do is we speak to a lot of these OEMs and what they're telling us is that there should be a fundamental shift in, you know, the business model of how these OEMs operate as well. So they're now becoming full service providers. They're not just the people who will sell you the vehicle and then walk away from it. No, they want to become the people who not only sell you the vehicle, but also sell you the supporting infrastructure. They want to sell you the maintenance contracts. They want to be the ones who look after your vehicle for the five, 10 years that it plans to be on the road. And at the very end of it, if there is any residual value in the battery, they're willing to buy that back from you as well and use it or recycle it again. So we're really seeing, you know, a, a fundamental change in how these truck OEMs will also operate. Um, and really, once all of that can be put in place and set in motion, we will see that uh, more fleet operators will feel more confident to, to shift to electric. I've done a couple of interviews with companies that are involved in offering transportation as a service. And in this space, uh, and I think the interviews that I did were more in the medium duty, so we're talking delivery vans, but I think this applies to heavy duty. And what they, these companies would offer uh, a trucking a truck a carrier is they would go in and say, look, we'll provide the truck, we'll provide all of the charging infrastructure, we'll look after permitting and installation and repair and maintenance, all of that stuff. We'll even provide you a driver if you want. And all you need is you will pay X cost per kilometer. And mm -hmm. so we, we, you don't, you know what your, your total cost of ownership, your cost per kilometer is for diesel. We will give you, we'll guarantee you a lower cost than that for an electric. And we'll look after all of the transition issues that come up like repair and maintenance and charging and mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And you know, they, these these uh, companies were in very early stages and, you know, they were they had a couple of pilot projects. And and I mean, they, you know, the, the business model seems sound, but, you know, until you get out in the marketplace and test it and and see whether it has any uh, uh, whether it's going to be viable, we don't quite know yet. But are you seeing that um, transportation as a service, trucking as a service business model emerging uh, in the U.S. or, or in other regions? Yeah, uh, definitely. So, you know, the truck as a service business model is something we've definitely noticed come up um, as part of our research. But like you mentioned, yeah, the, the level of adoption and the level of, you know, acceptance in the market of such a service, that's more questionable. 
So there's definitely players out there that are trying to do this. There's TerraWatt in the US and there's other Chinese companies. A lot of these European OEMs like Volvo and others are also offering it. Um, but really whether a fleet operator will, you know, uh, take it up is, is something that we really don't have data on and we haven't really seen as well. As well. So I wouldn't be able to make a comment on that. But um, as far as, you know, the existence of such business models, yes, they do exist. There are players out there who want to completely offer you the truck and the infrastructure as a service. I want to close out our interview with a question about uh, utilization of, of battery electric uh, heavy duty trucks, because I've also done interviews with um, trade association representatives who argue that, and they were doing this in the in the United States context, so we'll see if it maybe applies. But very often, uh, truckers, long-haul truckers, are hauling between regional hubs. Mm-hmm. And and so the, the argument goes that those kind of, you know, the long-haul will stay diesel for a long time, uh, but it's the, the uh, trucking from the regional hub out to the customers that will be electrified. Uh, even if it's a class eight big truck, if you're only going 50 kilometers or 100 kilometers or 200 kilometers in a, maybe, you know, you're, uh, uh, I don't know, you're in Calgary and you're taking it out to Lethbridge, which is a couple hundred kilometers, that lends itself to battery electric because uh-huh. uh, your your route is known and you know, you know how many kilometers that, that truck is likely to uh likely to travel in a day it can come back to the base be charged up overnight be ready to go it's much more predictable and known uh than uh, than you know hauling a thousand kilometer or 800 kilometers in a day through the mountains and all of that that stuff which diesel is maybe still best suited for at this time so are we seeing that uh model emerge where the long haul the long distance hauling is still done with diesel but the the uh, short to mid range out of the regional hub is done with battery electric yeah i would agree with that statement for now so currently yes in in markets across the globe we're not seeing you know those very ultra long haul operations being undertaken by battery electric by any means and that purely comes down to again the technology itself right yes the the batteries aren't as energy dense as they should be we're not be able, we're not being able to complete you know uh, a certain number of miles without stopping to charge. But really for me, and the way I look at it is there will be a technological shift where all of this becomes very possible. So, you know, an example is the launch of the megawatt chargers. So really, if you think about it, what's stopping you from using a battery electric truck to go long haul? It's the fact that you don't want that downtime for, you know, two, three hours where the char- where the truck isn't making money by being on road, but instead it's stopped at a fuel station and it's, you know, fueling up. With a battery electric truck, you don't want that either. You don't want to stop for, you know, charging at all. Really, what will make the difference is the launch. It's a new uh, technology that is, you know, going to, you know, really take the trucking industry by storm. Um, And we're going to see commercial rollout in 2024. So it's, again, going to be an exciting year for the trucking industry. Because once these multi-megawatt charges can be put in place, there's nothing stopping an electric truck from doing those long haul routes because essentially the top up of those batteries will be done in a matter of you know 20 to 30 minutes as opposed to two or three hours so really once that technology is established and those charges have been put in place um, they're well looked after i don't see why even those long haul routes can't be you know uh, can't use battery electric and yes this not only applies to the us but there's various different regionality differences that exist within this market as well but there's ultra chow g 
which is a technological concept that China is working on to allow that ultra long haul, you know, fleets to electrify. Uh, you know, the MCS standard, the multi-megawatt charging standard, that's being adopted across Europe and US. So really, once that comes into place, I don't see why the ultra-long haul won't be electrified. I do actually have one last question for you, Shazan, and that is I'm seeing a lot of articles now uh, promoting the autonomous heavy-duty trucks. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, the idea, I, I'm still, as a driver... A little nervous about sharing the road with an eighty thousand pound uh, truck that doesn't have a driver, and yeah. maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe maybe it'll be um, maybe it'll be safer. Maybe when I have, we have a snowstorm as I'm going through Revelstoke and the Rocky Mountains, um, uh, where actually my wife and I a decade ago we had an accident. A, a, a car came across the you know it was a bit of a snowstorm and the car came across the center line and hit us head on at ninety kilometers an hour. It was a, we were just, you know, escaped by the skin of our teeth. Mm -hmm. And and I think, well, what if that same scenario, and it was with a semi-truck, yeah. you know, and, and would a, would, a, would an autonomous semi-truck, in fact, maybe it would have been safer because it would have slowed down. It would, it would, uh, the computers would have anticipated a, in a way that a human driver wouldn't. So maybe I'm unrealistic at this point. Maybe I, you know, I, I should be more supportive. But I'm very curious about your views on autonomous electric heavy-duty trucks and what the future is for them. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And, you know, I'll agree with you in that I'm not the most confident sharing roads with driverless cars, let alone driverless trucks. So I'm very much, very much with you on that page there. Uh, but really what we're noticing, and, you know, this is not uh, a research field that I personally cover loads, so I can't, you know, give you the best answer to this, but we're definitely seeing, you know, the launch of autonomy within the trucking segment as well. There's a lot of different companies that are now offering heavy duty solutions um, to really make those large, uh, you know, class A trucks go completely autonomous as well. And yeah, it seems like a scary future where, you know, these big trucks are, aren't being, uh, you know, driven by a human. But really how I see it is, you know, uh, this sort of segment is also, is, is also one of the segments which is, you know, most ideal to be, to be made autonomous purely because of, you know, think about this, um, you know, whereas a, a regular human driver will need to stop for breaks and, uh, you know, uh, stop for refreshments, uh, he wouldn't necessarily drive overnight. You can have a transformation within the within the haulage industry and within the freight industry if if you just had autonomous trucks driving around, you know, twenty four seven without any brakes, using uh, robotic charging as well, where you didn't necessarily even need a human to plug them in; they just sort of charge themselves. So I really do see an, an idealistic world in the future where yes, autonomous trucks exist, and yes, you know, robotic conductive charging solutions exist. Um, it's just a matter of regulation. So it all comes down to governments discussing how much and when they want to intervene and when they want to allow these things to roll out into the real world. Right. And I imagine there will be pressure from the trucking industry, which has got a labor shortage. Uh, yeah. They're having trouble recruiting uh, uh, class eight semi drivers. drivers. And yeah, so uh, it, I think it's an, an axiom of, you know, technology adoption analysis that uh, when there's a labor shortage, that's when you have companies stepping in with technology uh, mm -hmm. solutions. And so that would, if that plays out here, then and that would accelerate the adoption of, uh, of uh, autonomous uh, heavy duty EVs. 
Well, look, Shazan, this has been fascinating. I, I'm I'm really uh, this is a, a, a an interesting been an interesting conversation about heavy duty electric vehicles. Uh, I think we're we're agreed that um, the momentum is is shifting, but will probably the step change will come later this decade with uh, with better batteries and and better technology and and of course uh, with uh, regulation as well. Uh, so thank you very much for this. Really appreciate your insights. Well, thank you so much for having me.